Is Taiwan the top flashpoint in U.S.-China relations? Chinese leader Xi Jinping gave President Biden a stern warning over Washington's stance on the island. This as tensions build ahead of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's potential visit to Taiwan. One of the world's largest banks has reportedly set up a Communist Party branch in its Chinese operation. Is Beijing tightening its grip on Western financial institutions in China? A warning from Britain. Its national security advisor says the risk of a nuclear war with China is growing. And TikTok's Chinese parent company is spending hard on lobbying the U.S. government, shelling out a record $2 million. We look at who's on the target list. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. President Biden held a call with Chinese leader Xi Jinping on Thursday at a time when international tensions are high. So what did they talk about? Hendidi's Chen Wu gives us an overview. President Biden and China's Xi Jinping spent more than two hours Thursday in discussion as the relationship between the world's two largest economies becomes increasingly strained. The more than two-hour call marked the fifth time Biden has spoken with the communist regime leader since taking office. The last time was in March, just weeks after Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine. In the latest talks, Taiwan was once again a key point of tension. President Biden underscored that the United States policy has not changed and that the United States strongly opposes unilateral efforts to change the status quo or undermine peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. Xi Jinping warned that the U.S. was playing with fire over Taiwan ahead of a possible trip to the island by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Beijing says it's prepared to take strong measures if Pelosi visits the island, a threat U.S. officials are taking seriously in light of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Another pressing issue for both leaders, the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The Biden administration has pushed China to share more information, particularly on the origins of the infection. We continue to work with our partners around the world to, to press China uh, to fully share information and to cooperate with the World Health Organization. Differing perspectives on global health, economic policy and human rights have long tested U.S.-China relations, with Beijing's refusal to condemn Russia's invasion adding further strain. As usual, China left no doubt that it blames the U.S. for the deteriorating relationship between the two countries. Both leaders did agree to begin arrangements for a face-to-face -face summit, which would be their first as Xi Jinping has avoided travel during the pandemic. Chen Wu, NTD News. Following the call, Taiwan said it would continue to deepen its security partnership with the U.S. On the other hand, Russia says it supports Beijing's one-channel policy on the issue of Taiwan. Nancy Pelosi's possible Taiwan visit is getting more attention. The Pentagon responded to Beijing's calls not to go through with the trip by boosting military presence. Meanwhile, some in Taiwan are welcoming the U.S.'s response. Let's take a closer look. Talk about my travel. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is scheduled to start her Asia tour on Friday, though for now it's unclear whether she will visit Taiwan. The Speaker's potential visit to the island has been making headlines. If Pelosi goes through with the trip, she would become the highest-ranking U.S. official to visit Taiwan in the last 25 years. 
On the other hand, China's foreign ministry spokesman has warned a visit from Pelosi would be a red line for Beijing and would trigger what he called serious consequences from the Chinese regime. Earlier this week, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said he had spoken with Pelosi and gave his assessment of the security situation. I remain concerned, and you've heard me say this before, about the uh, aggressiveness of the PRC and, uh, and the kinds of things that we've been seeing uh, in the region uh, lately. Uh, and so I think we have to be vigilant, uh, you know, throughout, uh, even as we're operating in, the, in, the, in that region. Austin declined to comment on the specific security requirements that Pelosi's planned trip would require. After news broke about Pelosi's possible visit, Beijing warned Tuesday that the Chinese military will take strong measures if the trip goes ahead. What's more, a state-backed newspaper threatened that, in case of a maritime conflict between the U.S. and China, the U.S. carrier fleet would be, quote, wiped out. China claims the island as its own territory, though the Chinese Communist Party has never ruled Taiwan. Because of China's stance, visits by U.S. officials to Taiwan have become a frequent source of tension between Beijing and Washington. The U.S. does not have official diplomatic ties with Taiwan, but is bound by law to provide the island with the means to defend itself. Some Taiwan citizens seem to be shrugging off recent warnings from Beijing. China has actually issued similar statements in the past whenever there is a similar situation. So this time around I am quite at ease because I think that this is mostly verbal threats and intimidation. I think that the whole global situation is changing and becoming more tense. But to be honest, I am already used to China issuing such statements. So I am not overly nervous but think that there could be some new developments. As for Washington's promised military movements, a U.S. aircraft carrier and strike group has entered the South China Sea, heading toward Taiwan. The U.S. 7th Fleet Commander confirmed it's a scheduled operation. For many, the Chinese Communist Party is an issue on the other side of the globe. But new reports say Beijing's influence might hit closer to home than Americans realize. And it is Chen Wu has the story. The Chinese communist regime seems to have upped its game on foreign companies operating in China. According to a Financial Times report, a Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, committee has been established inside the largest bank in Europe, HSBC. A CCP committee is required by law for most Chinese companies. But the rule isn't strictly enforced among foreign finance groups. HSBC would be the first foreign bank to install a Chinese Communist Party branch. The move prompts concerns over Beijing's growing involvement in Western firms. And HSBC's size and influence could pressure other foreign banks in China to follow suit. Senator Marco Rubio wrote in a letter to The Wall Street Journal that financial companies like BlackRock, Citigroup and Goldman Sachs are among the most vulnerable. HSBC did not confirm whether a Communist Party branch had been established, adding that even if there was such a branch, it would have no influence on how its business runs. But is it really possible for a Communist branch not to affect a company's decision-making? A CCP committee is typically a group of three or more employees who are also members of the Chinese Communist Party. 
The committee serves as both a workers' union and the means to install a Communist Party member within a company's top ranks, like a management or director role. Chinese state regulators made establishment of a party cell mandatory in 2018 for any company listed on domestic stock exchanges. They mandated that fund management companies are to carry out party activities and provide the necessary conditions in accordance with the constitution of the Chinese Communist Party. Senator Rubio said that kind of infiltration poses a real threat and could neutralize opposition to the CCP. Companies are currently not required to disclose the presence of CCP cells and whether they influence corporate decisions. Chenny Wu, NTD News. UK Foreign Secretary and candidate for Prime Minister Liz Truss is promising stronger ties among Commonwealth nations. That's to face China's threats and, in her words, growing malign influence. The plan lies in the potential launch of a new Commonwealth deal if Truss becomes British Prime Minister in September. The Commonwealth is short for the Commonwealth of Nations. It's made up of 56 member states, the majority of which are former British Empire territories. Truss's plan would aim to speed up economic and trade cooperations with Commonwealth partners. She said the plan must provide clear benefits for staying a member of the Commonwealth and, quote, offer nations a clear alternative to growing malign influence from Beijing. A campaign spokesperson said Trust believes the Commonwealth is vital to countering Beijing's influence, saying she believes trade and investment has a key role to play in stopping the growing Chinese influence, where Beijing has used investment as a part of its Belt and Road Initiative. The UK's national security adviser said the risk of an accidental nuclear war with China is growing. That's as the regime expands its nuclear arsenal despite international arms control mechanisms. Let's zoom in. In a virtual speech in Washington, D.C., Sir Stephen Lovegrove warned of the pace and scale with which China is expanding its nuclear and conventional arsenals. He said the world is entering a, quote, dangerous new age of proliferation. In particular, he said the U.K. has clear concerns about China's nuclear modernization program. Sir Stephen warned that the risk of nuclear conflict could be greater today than at the height of the Cold War. He said during the Cold War, the West had a series of negotiations and dialogues with the USSR, adding that this gave us both a higher level of confidence that we would not miscalculate our way into nuclear war, Today, we do not have the same foundations with others who may threaten us in the future, particularly with China. Coming up, over $2 million. That's the amount of money TikTok's Chinese parent company spent on lobbying the U.S. government. We look at the list of targets and how should the U.S. treat Beijing's threat over House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's potential trip to Taiwan? And what's at stake if Pelosi skips the visit? We hear from David Stilwell, former Assistant Secretary of State, for details in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Recent disclosure shows TikTok's Chinese parent company has spent a record amount of money on lobbying. And those efforts have targeted a variety of U.S. agencies. TikTok's parent company, Chinese internet giant ByteDance, spent over $2 million on lobbying in the second quarter. 
That amount totaled a new record, an increase of 130% from the previous quarter. That's according to a federal lobbying disclosure report last week. The report says ByteDance's lobbying efforts targeted the president's office, as well as the departments of Commerce, State, and Defense, plus the House and Senate. The report said ByteDance lobbied on a variety of issues, including some pieces of U.S. legislation, one example being the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act of 2021, or USICA. The bill aimed to boost U.S. competitiveness, especially in the semiconductor or microchip industry. The plan angered Beijing. The Chinese embassy in Washington reportedly threatened U.S. companies, saying they would lose market share in China if the bill became law. Other pieces of legislation the Chinese company lobbied include one called the No TikTok on Department of Homeland Security Devices Act. The bill was introduced in February. If enacted, DHS employees would need to remove TikTok from any of the department's devices in 60 days. The bill was introduced by Congressman Michael Guest from Mississippi. Guest said in a statement that the U.S. cannot risk compromising important homeland security information to its foreign adversaries. He called removing the app a common-sense step to close a potential tool used by the Chinese Communist Party to spy on the U.S. Apart from legislation, ByteDance also lobbied on privacy-related issues, many of them focused on American children. In March, attorneys general from almost 10 U.S. states launched an investigation. The probe looked into TikTok's potential harm to children and teens. Senator Richard Blumenthal said it would uncover TikTok's actions that put profits over kids' safety. Amid the rising concerns over TikTok, FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr wrote to the CEOs of Apple and Google calling on the two executives to remove TikTok from their app stores. Carr warned of the app's extensive data harvesting, combined with Beijing's unrestrained access to that sensitive data under Chinese law, and how those two factors together pose an unacceptable national security risk. Zooming into Southeast Asia, competition between world powers is intensifying. Indonesia has pledged to expand trade with China, not long after a visit from a U.S. military chief. The country has garnered international interest over its key location. Here's more. Indonesia and China are pledging further deepening trade ties, especially in the agricultural sector. This as the Russia-Ukraine war is putting stress on the global food supply. The Southeast Asian country's leader landed in Beijing on Monday with his wife to meet with Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping. Indonesia is strategically important. One of the most crucial shipping lanes in the world, the Strait of Malacca, runs between two Indonesian islands. The narrow stretch of water is the main shipping channel between the Indian and Pacific Oceans. The country also borders the South China Sea, where 50 percent of the world's oil tankers pass through every year. China is already Indonesia's number one trading partner. Indonesia is a significant source of Chinese imports of coal, copper and natural gas. Though China's territory dispute with Indonesia over the South China Sea has fueled anti-China sentiment in the country, Indonesian officials usually downplay the incidents. That's given the economic ties between the two nations. The visit and in-person meeting with China Xi is rare, given Beijing's strict COVID-19 measures. It came right after U.S. General Mark Milley visited Indonesia last week. 
That's the first time the highest-ranking U.S. military officer has traveled to the country since 2008. Milley said he wanted the U.S. military to work more with their Indonesian counterpart, modernize militaries collectively so that they can meet with challenges from the Chinese regime. That's as the U.S. doubles down on its effort to deepen relations with Pacific nations to counter the Chinese regime's increasing aggression and influence in the region. Two high-profile Japanese officials have arrived in Taiwan. Their trip will allow for talks with the island's leadership, and key points will focus on the rising threat from China. Let's zoom in. Japanese lawmakers arrived in Taiwan Wednesday for a meeting with the island's president, Tsai Ing-wen. During the meeting, the officials raised a number of issues, like how to maintain a peaceful and stable Pacific region. We know that safeguarding Taiwan is not only about safeguarding sovereignty. It's also because on the issue of the area's strategic safety, Taiwan is a very critical line of defense of the first island chain. The first island chain is a term for a group of islands close to the mainland of Asia. Taiwan stands in the middle of that chain, making it a choke point that connects Northeast Asia and South Asia. Gaining control over the area would give Beijing unprecedented economic and military power. As part of that effort, Beijing has been sending fighter jets and vessels into Taiwanese defense zones for months. During the talks in Taiwan, Japanese officials noted that they should work to boost the process of building up Indo-Pacific defenses. We need to think ahead about what kind of situations could happen in this region, what kind of laws and agreements we should prepare, and what kind of armaments we could use. We need to work together to reach a consensus on this ahead of anything that could happen. It cannot just be at the level of thought, just words spoken out of one's mouth. Japan must take on concrete responsibilities in the Asia region. Chinese aggression has largely pushed Taiwan and Japan toward closer ties. Top Japanese and Taiwanese policymakers haven't held talks on this level since the two broke off their diplomatic relations in 1972. On top of that, Japan is a crucial U.S. ally in the region, so enhancing the ties with Taiwan means stronger U.S.-Taiwan ties, too. And aside from Taiwan's democratic system, there's something else at stake for the West. The island dominates the global semiconductor and microchip industry, meaning threats to Taiwan also endanger America's microchip supply line. Some experts have speculated that a Beijing invasion of Taiwan could pose far greater losses than the impacts of the Russia-Ukraine war. Beijing reiterated its warning to the U.S. on Thursday, saying Washington would be crossing a red line with its China relations if House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visits Taiwan. How should the U.S. treat threats from Beijing and what's at stake over Pelosi's potential trip? We hear from David Stilwell, former Assistant Secretary of State, for his take. General Stilwell, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Great to be back. So right now, Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker's potential trip to Taiwan is causing a lot of buzz. And part of Biden and Xi Jinping's talk focused on that. And so Xi Jinping warned that those who play with fire will get burned and have been threatening military action. So if that were to play out, how would that play out? Would they shoot Pelosi's plane out of the sky or what is that situation? Well, um, people tend to go to extremes when they think about military action. And if you look at the history of PRC military responses and 
especially in the Taiwan situation, they all, they've been muted. I mean, the 96, the Taiwan Strait crisis was probably the most aggressive where we had missiles going across, uh, landing near Taiwan ports as an effort to, I guess, maybe semi-blockade uh, Taiwan. Uh, but in general, uh, taking direct, provocative, escalatory action is not in the Chinese playbook. And looking at this one, we've already had a Speaker of the House go in 97, Newt Gingrich. Uh, there's very little about this, this trip other than the amount of hype going into it that's different in the past. But it is in the news. We've got the administration and the Congress talking about it. And this is where I think, uh, you know, the U.S. side probably needs to get its house in order. And so going off of the statements coming out of Beijing, whether it's like Hu Xijing, the Global Times editor-in-chief speaking, saying like, you know, China will take action, or Xi Jinping's warning today, with all this history of these kinds of fiery statements, if the U.S. were to do that, it would probably start an all-out war. So why is Beijing able to get away with that? Is it that we don't take it seriously, or why is that? Well, a couple things there. Uh, they they play they still play the role of second-tier middle power. They're still in that mentality of being a not a major power. You look at how they make promises or how they violate agreements. This is stuff that a you know a mid-level power can do without real consequence to their questionable to legitimacy or credibility. But as a great power, empty threats, then demonstrated to be empty with no intent to prove them, makes it more difficult for them to actually create the desired uh, deterrent effect with future threats. In short, you know, what it's the boy crying wolf. And, and how, much, how many times are they going to cry wolf before we point that out to them and say, you're no longer credible? And so... And without credibility, it's impossible to operate in this, you know, high-level uh, uh, diplomatic world. They have to restore credibility. They restore credibility by building trust, by living up to their commitments, uh, and then being very restrained in the use of threats. Because if they don't do that, and if the intent for a threat is to get us to back down uh, without having to take action, uh, and it's increasingly difficult for that. Uh, tactic to work because those threats are, are empty. But the second part of that is you said, you know, go to war. We have to keep reminding ourselves that the PRC, the CCP, is actively at war with the U.S. Actively. You know, th this, bo this book, I keep pointing to this book, but I think it's really illustrative, political warfare, as it gains up the camera, um, shows that they're at war. Economic war. Look what they've been doing uh, in terms of trade, in terms of IP theft, instead of all those things. They are actively at war. Uh, information, how they're manipulating our internal media and the rest. So they're fighting us as hard as they can. It's just that when you get into the area of bloodshed and destroying things, the risk uh, of uh, you have to complete that act. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area to speak of. So, yes, they're they're already at war, uh, but the, the threat of, of taking kinetic action, I think, is, is what we're talking about here. In general, so from the U.S. perspective right now, because of all the hype around this potential trip, like even though Nancy Pelosi hasn't actually confirmed publicly that she will go, given all the hype and buzz around it, what would be at stake if she doesn't go now? Well, as I mentioned before, credibility. Uh, suddenly, we are no longer trustworthy. Um, we are talking ourselves out of things. And then we're doing it very publicly. We have to, the internal debates need to stay internal. Um, you know, if the PRC can show friction and division between the administration and the Congress on this particular topic, a topic where until now we've had absolutely unanimity, right? We've been in complete agreement. 
making my job at State Department before very easy is the administration and the Congress, Democrats and Republicans were unified. If we allow the PRC to drive a wedge between administration and Congress, uh, they win, not us. And so uh, that these conversations need to be kept more private. And um, and in the end, uh, the Congress should do what the Congress does. That's what that's the whole point of checks and balances. And on that note, it seems Beijing always likes to say that we're interfering in their internal affairs when it comes to Taiwan. But Pelosi and other people have made it very clear that the trip would just kind of signify support for Taiwan's democracy, not independence. And by law, the U.S. has to help Taiwan defend itself. So how do you balance that rhetoric when it's like these statements coming out of Beijing? Again, back to my previous statement, these are just idle, empty, hollow threats uh, and the like to get us to back down for free. They don't see the cost and credibility uh, and legitimacy when they do that. And so it's just words. We know for a fact that what we're doing is not in any way violating our commitments because we do abide by our commitments. Um, and we just need to ignore that rhetoric. And in the past, when we ignore it, of course, nothing has happened. The PRC has backed out because they know they're on the wrong side. So. We need to show some fortitude, some strength. We need to trust in ourselves again, and we need to stand up for a principle and continue to do what we know is right. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching, and see you tomorrow. Presenting the heritage of traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics, and reviving the true tradition. The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan. On August 28th, the finals will be broadcast live online worldwide. Registration hotline 188-477-9228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com.